If you will, please turn in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 21. You'll pass Moses' writings, uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then you'll get to 1 Samuel before 2 Samuel and, and, and Kings and Chronicles. 1 Samuel 21 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, 1 Samuel is the book that I've been working on for this Simeon Trust workshop uh, this week, and I always want us to benefit um, directly from that kind of attention and that kind of focus. And so we're going to be dipping into the book of 1 Samuel this week, um, uh, maybe next week and maybe the week after, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what the Lord does this week in, in 1 Samuel. But 1 Samuel 21 is where we are this morning. And if you would, please stand at the reading of God's Word for you this morning. 1 Samuel 21. We'll read it, and I'll invite you to leave your Bibles open as we walk through the text. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Kish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in the hands 
in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gates and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? You may be seated. This is a bit strange for us to just dip into the middle of a book. Our main series as a church has been the book of Acts, which we have taken a pause from, but we'll get back to shortly. We're in the middle of an important book in the nation of Israel's history. It tells of how the nation of Israel went from having judges to having kings. Right now, The king of Israel is Saul. And Saul is a wicked king. And David is here as the one who God has chosen to be the real king. And the reason why I want us to consider this chapter in particular is that we might learn something about the true king of God. David is a type or a pattern. He's a shadow of The Christ, Jesus Christ, the King of Christians. And so this passage teaches us about our Savior, and we learn this from what David does. That's a really strange thing to say if you've been paying attention to what David just did. We see surprising behavior from this great King who we respect so much. It will help us to know that the chapter before 1 Samuel 21, David has just been meeting with Jonathan, his friend, the son of King Saul. And Jonathan has found out and confirmed what David suspected, that when Saul was trying to kill David in chapter 19, several times that he's still trying to kill David. And Jonathan knows this and sends David away. And that's where we are in 1 Samuel 21. David trying to avoid being killed by his own king. The story comes to us in two parts. And really the story shifts when David changes location. Look again in verse 1, how we're told David comes to Nob. And this city, he, he is starving and swordless in this city. Verse 10 then, the second part of our story comes and David rises and flees that day from Saul to Philistia of all places. The Philistines are the great enemies of God at this point in the Bible. We had Egypt, now we have Philistia. Babylon is coming, and then Rome, but now it's Philistia, and that's where David goes. So to understand what this chapter is going to teach us about Jesus Christ, we have to focus first on what it is that David, the Christ of the day, was doing there in the city of priests. And then we want to think about why David the Christ of Israel goes to the city of his enemies. And the point we will see is that the Christ 
the king, the anointed one of God must be delivered from every threat to his throne. That's the sermon in one sentence. The Christ must be delivered from every threat to his throne. For Samuel is teaching us who should be our king. And for Samuel 21, in these shocking events that happened to David, that David does, we are meant to feel burdened for David and what he has to do to not fall into the hands of a murderer. Point number one. From verses 1 through 9, we have a merciful misleading in Nob. In this city of the priests, we have a merciful misleading. David misleads this priest twice. Look back in chapter 20 and in verse 33. Jonathan has just learned at the table of his father in the palace of Israel that that Saul wants to kill David. And 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 now Saul wants to kill David so badly that when he learns his own son is faithful to David and not to him, he wants to kill Jonathan. And so in verses 41 and 42 of the chapter before, Jonathan comes to David and he's arranged this meeting time and he says, you need to leave here quickly. You need to go away because my father wants to kill you. And they make this covenant together. And Jonathan says, you go in peace. I want you to live and you are my true king. And my father does want to kill you. So David rises up and he leaves. And this is where we find him. A few miles south of where he met with Jonathan in this city called Nob. When the priest, Ahimelech, sees David coming to him in this kind of state, notice that the priest gets panicked. And then David orders him up a double whopper with cheese. He... He tells them this story. I'm alone because the king sent me on this hush hush mission, real black ops situation, priest. And I'm going to meet with SEAL Team 1 in just a moment. They're coming up here. And I'm here in this state because I've come so very quickly. And I didn't have time to pack a snack or pack a sword. And the priest says in verse 4, well, there's no bread like my bread. The, the bread of the presence that's, that's served before the Lord is just for me to eat. But even though you're not a priest, I will give you my bread. And David says in verse 9, well, there is also no sword like the sword you got on hand. That, that sword from Goliath that I won a few chapters before when I cut off his head. Now, what are we to feel when we see this king, David? mislead. Well, Jesus gives us an idea how we should feel about it. Because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus 
is with his disciples. And the enemies come to him in, in Matthew 12 after he and his disciples were hungry and they ate wheat or bread on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees say, why are you breaking the law? Why are you disobeying God? And Jesus says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And how those who are with him, that SEAL team that comes to meet him, he ate and they ate this bread that was only lawful for the priest to eat. And then Jesus turns to the Pharisees who are accusing him of doing wrong. And he says, you should know that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And if you knew that, you would not have condemned them, even though they're guiltless. Jesus looks at the story that we just read and he has mercy. He has compassion. That's what he's feeling toward David. That's what he's feeling toward his men. And Jesus says, I'm here as someone who's better than the house of God. I am, I'm the house of God myself. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who gives real rest and I'll tell you what I want. What I want more than sacrifice is mercy. And so he looks back at what David does, and we shouldn't think differently than what Jesus thinks. Jesus desires mercy. He doesn't want fault finding in his people. He wants the needy to be provided for, and David is in great need in this moment. The burden of the book that we're dipping into, 1 Samuel, the burden is to show that this man who we are observing and what he's experiencing in chapter 21 is the king of God. He is the one that God is providing who has a heart like God. And what we're seeing here is if you are loyal to the Christ, you will be treated like the Christ. If you are loyal to the king, you will be treated like the king. So Jesus looks back and how David takes this bread from the priest and all he eats it himself, but gives it to his men who are meeting him there because they're being hunted just like him. And when David looks at that, he wants to show mercy. David is going to feed his soldiers. He's going to be merciful to them. This is a passage, make no mistake, that is about mercy. The mercy that David is showing to his men and providing for them. And mercy from the Lord to David. And I think this misleading that he does of the priest is driven by mercy. He is trying to show mercy to this priest. David is, uh, I mean, we, we can't avoid what, what this story is telling us. We, he is at least being very clever when he says what he says in verse 2. 
he doesn't, he doesn't actually say Saul sent me. What does he say in verse two? He says, the king has charged me to come to you. Now, it could be that he's just playing with words. He's being clever here. But back in chapter 20, look, look back in chapter 20 and verse 22. Where, where Jonathan gives this signal to his servant and he says out loud so that David can hear him. The Lord has sent you away. Maybe David is being clever when he doesn't say Saul sent me here, which is probably what Ahimelech the priest would have heard. But instead he says the king has charged me. In other words, he's saying the Lord has sent me here. But I'm not going to say that David says what he says to the priest with a wink. As if he thinks that the priest is going to understand this double meaning in what he says. And I don't feel the need to tell you that because the Bible everywhere says what those saints sing in West Africa. There is no one like Jesus. So I don't feel the need right now to defend everything that David does as if he's perfect. And yet, the story is not making him to be the one who's wrong. This misleading of the priest is merciful. Because there's this wicked king out there who wants to kill David. And he has spies everywhere. Look at that in verse 7. Do you see the spy, Doeg, the Edomite, who ends up hearing and seeing what David does. And in chapter 22, Doag tells Saul and then comes back and kills Ahimelech. David, when hearing that, said, that's exactly what I tried to avoid happening. In other words, what he does and what he says is meant to show mercy to this priest. He He saw Doag, this evil man, the servant of Saul, in his presence and he wanted to act and, and speak in such a way that Doeg would not blame the priest, but would only blame David. And yet, evil Saul and his henchmen killed this priest for it. The main point is not the priest. The main point is what David has to do in order to reach the throne that Saul is on. He has to be delivered from every threat. And that includes starvation, so he has to have the bread of the priests, and sword, so he gets the sword of Goliath. Point number two is a prudent pretending in Gath. There was a merciful misleading in Nob, and now in in Gath there is a prudent pretending. Verses 10 through 15. Verse 10 and 11 See the sword and hear the song. I just remind you, back in chapter 17, there is an incredible hulk in the nation of Philistia. His name is Goliath from Gath. That's the city, Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. The one who came in chapter 17 and said, send out a champion to fight me. And if I win, you'll be our slaves. And if he wins, we'll be your slaves. That's Goliath from Gath, which is the place David 
runs to. David had made thousands of widows in Gath. He had destroyed Goliath, and with his leadership, they had destroyed many Philistines. If you're David, and you are running for your life, And you need to find an ally. You need to find a friend. You need to find safekeeping. And by the way, on your hip is not exactly a concealed carry kind of weapon. It's a giant's sword. Where is the one place you would definitely not go? The hometown of God, of Goliath. In other words, how desperate must the Christ be if he has to seek safety in the hometown of Goliath? That's the point. That this king, Akish, this wicked, godless king in Gath, is safer than Saul. And here's the point. God's Messiah, God's Christ, is not safe anywhere. Because right when He shows up, what do they say? That that song that had reached the the top of the billboards in, in Israel has now made its way across the border into Philistia, and we can just hear Akish's servants When David shows up there, look who it is. And King, look what he has in his hand. He is going to lop off your head just like he did to Goliath. We need to kill him. What do they do in, in verse 11? They say to the king, when David shows up, is this not David? The king. Of, his, of the land. Is this not the one that they sang of? Saul struck down his thousands. David struck down his ten thousands. And David, it says, took these words to his heart and was very afraid of the king of Gath. Why is it that he acts like a madman? Why is it that he, that he changes his behavior, that he pretends here? He starts drooling and doodling graffiti on the gates of Gath. It's because David is desperate. And something of the Christ, something of what Jesus experienced in order to save his people and be king of his people is being demonstrated right here. The main thing we should feel toward David in this moment, given all the threats of his life, We should feel how terrified he is, what he must do in order to stay alive, in order to get the crown. And we need to feel everything we're going to lose if this man does not take the crown and Saul stays the king. Who would kill his own son? Who would kill his own champion? The one who has a heart like God. We need someone better than Saul. So we need David to live. 
And beloved, we know we need someone even better than this David. And so David takes these words to heart. I don't just mean those catchy lyrics of verse 11, but also did you notice what they said? The truth is often found on the lips of the wicked in 1 Samuel. And the lips of the wicked say, this is, actually, this is the real king. I know Saul's wearing the crown, but this is the king. And David takes that word to heart. And I think it heartens him. It encourages him. He's afraid of the king of Gath, but he's also established in his purpose. I've got to survive this. I am the true king. And therefore, I must be delivered. What's really interesting is David, who you might know is the sweet psalmist of Israel. He wrote many psalms in the book of Psalms. There's only 13 psalms where David tells us what he was experiencing when he wrote those lyrics. Only 13. Nine of the 13 are based on 1 Samuel 21 and 1 Samuel 22. He never wrote a psalm about his friendship with Jonathan. He never wrote a psalm about how he killed Goliath. And how much more familiar are you with the story of Goliath than you are with this? When David, what makes David sing? What is it that draws out the heart of a man after God's own heart? It's when he falls into the hands of enemies. It's when he's being chased down by God's own king. It's when his life is threatened. And he says this in one of those psalms. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. In other words, what I think David is thinking right now, according to the psalm that he wrote when he was experiencing this, is I'm trusting in God right now. I have to survive because God's the one who told me to be king. And so, for David to take the throne, he has to pretend. What I want is is for us to have a fresh appreciation for what Jesus had to do. Because Jesus is the son of David. And Jesus experienced worse than David. What David was experiencing in these chapters is a desperation for God. He was focused upon the steadfast love of God, even though all the people had turned away from him. He was crying out to God. And his only comfort was confidence that God loved him. And so if you read those Psalms, you'll see over and over him crying out to God and focused upon the steadfast love of God when he is being hunted down. There comes another son of David who is under threats. And in 1 Peter, which we read earlier, we are told about how this son of David, Jesus Christ, gets his crown. 
He's not facing the same kinds of threats as David was. But he is facing more. Right after this, David has to flee in chapter 22 to a cave. One commentator said David spent his 20s in caves. Underground. Hunted. And crying out. Jesus did not have to hide himself in himself in a cave. And yet one thing that we're learning from 1 Samuel 21 that we can say is true also of Jesus is that Jesus had to survive every threat that would keep him from the crown. And the way I want you to think about that is this. Jesus Christ was protected all the way up until he wasn't. That God was protecting him and guarding him and keeping him so that he can be killed and die in exactly the right way. He was guarded from committing sin so that he wouldn't deserve the death, so that he can die in the place of others. But he faced threats from the very beginning. As you know, the story of Jesus' birth, he faced death immediately. The new King Saul, King Herod, was in on the throne and he was seeking to kill the one who should take the throne. And so God protected him so that he wouldn't die in that way. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, the moment that Jesus was born in Revelation chapter 12, it says the devil himself, like a great dragon, was seeking to devour him immediately. He was threatened from the very beginning. And he's protected. He was protected till he became an adult. And then he faced his own people as the Christ, the son of David. And when they heard who he was, they treated him like Saul treated David. He had people who said that they were going to be loyal to him. And then he, they ran away from him. And they, he had someone within his own confidence as Judas, who ended up betraying him. He faced death threat after death threat. And beloved, he has to get the throne. And so God guarded him. And he came to a garden one night where Judas betrayed him, where the Romans came to take him. And he knew what he was facing. You have guarded me from Herod. You have guarded me from Satan. You have guarded me from all the Jews. And now is the time that I'm to die. Is there any other way to save? And the father answers him, no. What I want you to learn from 1 Samuel 21 about your Savior and your King, if you're a Christian, is that he lived under threat constantly and he had to be delivered from every threat if he was going to have the throne. And what I want you to understand is a difference between David and Jesus is Saul was hunting David. And it wasn't a Saul that was hunting Jesus. Unless you're thinking about your own sin. That is what would kill him. And Jesus, after he prayed in that garden, got up. And he didn't go to any cave. And he didn't run away. 
And 1 Peter 2 tells us what he did and what he didn't do. He committed no sin. And listen to this. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't revile those who were reviling him. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, just like David, whenever the Christ's throne is threatened, he places his faith in God. For David, the threat to his throne was him dying too early. For Jesus, the threat to taking his throne would be refusing to die. So he wouldn't sin to get out of it. He wouldn't lie to be saved from the king of Rome. He wouldn't lie to get himself out of anything. For Jesus to be delivered to his throne, he had to be delivered not from death, but through death. And so when the Jews start accusing the Lord Jesus of pretending to be the king, Jesus did not deceive. But he continued confessing the truth that he knew would get him killed. When Jesus fell into the hands of murderers, he did not make any threats to them. He didn't say, I have my 10,000 angels that can strike you down. Jesus did not change his behavior to get out of the cross because he trusted God's word to him. I will raise you from the dead and I will make you a shepherd to the sheep and you will save them when you take their sins from them on the cross. Beloved, there is no one like Jesus. And the best in the Old Testament are are small and imperfect and failing pictures of Him. David is a failing picture of the Lord Jesus. Jesus knows if anyone's going to live in my kingdom, I've got to die for their unrighteousness. Jesus believes God wants him to give mercy to others by sacrificing himself. And God did deliver Jesus. On the cross, he died for sins, for hell that you and I deserve. And because he's perfectly righteous and death goes to the unrighteous, God accepted his sacrifice in our place and he raised Jesus from the dead and then he got his crown. That is the first message you should hear today. Turn from your sins against Jesus. Turn from your Saul-like denials that he is the true king and live for God's King who died for sinners. But understand this as well. If you will be faithful to the Christ, you will be treated like the Christ. The priest in 1 Samuel 21 was faithful to David. And he was killed the next chapter. The men who came to David's side who he gave bread to, join him in the cave 
And he became the captain, not of the strong, but to those who are weary and hated. Understand this about being a Christian. If you are faithful to the Messiah, you will be treated like the Messiah. The world will hate you. And God will save you. Beyond this life, those who are loyal to the Lord Jesus will be treated like him, not only by his enemies, but also by his father. That's why first Peter goes on to say, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. He casts down the proud and he lifts up the lowly. Beloved, as we watch David on the run, the man after God's own heart is the most suffering and hated one in the book. Oh, don't be ashamed of him. You happily bear his reproach and you can trust he will oversee your soul and bring you to himself. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to love the Lord Jesus, that we would not take offense at the Lord Jesus, that we would not mistake what it means to follow him. We pray that everyone here would be turning from sin and trusting in him. And God, that that would mean when we are humbled by suffering, we would turn to you in faith and wait for your deliverance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.